0: No matter who you are or where your thoughts are in relationship to God and who he is, specifically Jesus, if you're convinced, um, unconvinced, somewhere in between, the what-if game has been played in your life in many places. Uh, The what-if game can drive our lives. Uh, The what-if game can um, just control our lives, can direct our lives. Uh, It can crush our lives sometimes when we play the what-if game. Um, Also, sometimes it completes our life, or sometimes it uh, captivates our life, and uh, sometimes the what-if game moves us to a place that's going to be better, we at least hope it's going to be that way. So we all, no matter who we are, no matter why we're here this morning, have played the what-if game. Now the most exciting, or one of the most exciting what-if games I ever played was when I was around 15 years old. You may recall this. And what it does is it really reflects my goals, my dreams, my hopes uh, for those days, being around 15. And really the catalyst for the what if game in my life at 15 was a commercial that went like this. Isn't everyone excited about McDonald's? You deserve a break today, game? Yes! Yes! Don't you love those big prizes? Sorry for the quality of that, but that was what the 80s was like. When you watch TV, that's the image you saw on your squarish kind of TV. That's the way it was. And that commercial, you you, you couldn't avoid it. It was on all the time. And it was doing its job because it started me to think, what if, what if, what if, what if this went on, what would happen? And uh, one of their campaigns uh, was based on Monopoly. They every once in a while bring it back. And there was a little card like this and uh you would get that and you would open it and uh, find out if you want something and one time we were heading back from a, a leaders a young leaders retreat and we stopped off at mcdonald's and picked up a couple of big macs and we were in a hurry so we were going to eat them in the car and bob our youth leader was uh driving uh so we got back in the car and started eating and i started to look at my little card and i peeled it open once and it said you deserve a break today you have won a million dollars. What? And all of a sudden, Bob said, I think you've won. Bob spun the car around, might have even chirped the wheels a little bit. Dave Lobley, my best buddy from uh, pre-K, was in the car. And as we're driving back to the McDonald's, I'm starting to think about what if. I told Dave he was really into boats, so I'd buy him the biggest cabin cruiser boat that he wanted. We're talking about Corvettes and we're saying, wow, this is great, I can't believe this. And we're, we're driving back and it's a million dollars and uh, I think we probably spent more than a million dollars, but you get the idea. So we're driving back, uh, we pull into the parking lot and uh, we're getting out of the car and I said, Bob, aren't you coming in with us? He goes, oh, no, 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 I'll just wait in the car for you. So we run into the McDonald's, and we're screaming, we won, we won, we won, and they're uh, looking around at us, and then we finally get up to the counter, and there's this uh, teenage girl, high school girl, waiting on us, and she looks like the last place she wants to be at McDonald's, but she's there working, and she looks at us, oh, my, and she grabs the card out of our hand, and uh, with a little bit of contempt, and... uh, Starts to look at it and then opens it one more time, and she says, "Would you like your French fries?" We're like, "What?" We're like, "What?" We had misread the card. So dejected, we didn't want our French fries. We just kind of head hung, went out to the you know to the car, and there is Bob. I mean, he is just back and forth in conjectures because he thinks this is so funny. He knows exactly what had happened, playing the what if game. It, it uh, really plays in our heads and at any age and stage in life we often will play it we think of what if this what if that and then all of a sudden life would come together life would be much better than it is and everything would be great well when you think about easter when you think about resurrection sunday honestly the real elephant in the room is what if when it comes to christ rising from the dead 2,000 years ago, he dies on a cross Friday afternoon. He's in the grave Saturday, and then Sunday he's alive. And so as we think about that, some of us will think about what if the tomb isn't empty and Jesus is still dead? I mean, come on, let's be, be honest. Some of us, we think that. Even those of us who have said, no, that's not the way it worked, uh, have had moments where we've thought about that, where we've wondered about that. And if that is true, if, if he's still in the grave, if he still is dead, if that tomb is not empty, then the baptism we're going to do in a few, in the next hour, uh, really is kind of outrageous. Really doesn't mean anything. It's like a game. So, you know, there's some ramifications when you and I play the what-if game. And there's huge, significant, life-changing, life-directing things that come into mind if Jesus really didn't raise from the dead, if he's not resurrected. First one that we can think about is this, is Christianity would be smoke and mirrors. It'd just be a game. It would be not real. It's kind of something we play. A lot of adults get together on a Sunday morning, talk about this resurrected Jesus, and kind of it's a fantasy. We kind of like base our life on it, and it's just it's just smoke and mirrors. Uh, we see this when um, Paul starts to talk about this to the first to the to the uh, church at Corinth, and First Corinthians, uh, we read this. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ. Everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors and everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. How horrible would it be if it's not true? How horrible would it be if we kept presenting this and doing this uh, on a personal level? How horrible for that would be? You know, I'm a pastor and since I've given my life to this idea, this concept, I would say this truth. But if it's not true... We're just spinning our wheels. Now, in our culture, when you and I, uh, it's kind of this myth, when you and I genuinely believe in something, then it's a truth for us. So some of us would say, well, you know, yeah, I, I don't know about that, but if you genuinely believe in it, then it's a truth for you. But all of us have experienced those times where we've genuinely believed in something. We've believed in a person. we believed in a concept. We've believed in an investment. We've believed in a marriage. We've believed in our kids, our parents, whatever. And, and we've believed in that, but even though we believed solidly, completely in that, just because we were genuine, it didn't really mean that it was absolutely true. It reminds me of this young man. It's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> Drive. What did you say? Stop. <laughs> You're embarrassed, I am. <laughs> What did you say? <laughs> the, okay. I walked in, I said, <laughs> I said, excuse me ma'am, do y'all have any blinker fluid? The guy on the other side's like, what'd you say? I said, do you have any blinker fluid? He said, someone's setting you up. I was like, what? <laughs> he said... Did your dad tell you to come in here? I said, no, it's my mom. She's like, he's like, there's no such thing as blinker fluid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that poor guy, right? He absolutely believes in blinker fluid. He goes in to the, you know, the automotive store. He goes up to the counter because he believes this is true. He believes his mother's pointing him in the right direction. Somehow the car is out of blinker fluid. I don't know why, but uh, he's, they've come to that conclusion. He goes in and it's absolutely false. Just because you and I believe in something genuinely in of itself doesn't make it true. If you genuinely believed you had directions to my house, And I sent you in a completely different direction. Just because you believed in those directions doesn't make it true. If you were sick and took a specific kind of medicine and uh, you believed in that medicine and you believed genuinely, you got up and took those vitamins, took that medicine, whatever it is, and it really wasn't the medicine for what was ailing you, just because you believed in it wouldn't make it true. So when you and I come to this idea of what if, what if the tomb isn't empty and Jesus isn't alive, the implications are significant to us. We've got to lean into that. If we really don't believe, and it's not because of our belief being genuine, it's because it's being a truth, a fact, something that has happened. It gets even a little worse if it hasn't happened, what if the good news, and we talk about the good news, we'd symbolized by baptism, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the fact that he gave his life for us so we could be free. We song about uh, him being the perfect lamb of God for our sins. If this isn't true, if the resurrection didn't happen, then the good news is a big lie. It's not real. It's not true even though there might even be some really nice sayings that jesus said you know love one another you know treat others well all those kinds of things even though those are nice pithy statements you could go to let's just look at proverbs and they're all wonderful that's fine and all but if the good news isn't true if there wasn't a resurrection then we are lost we are hopeless paul says it this way And we would be guilty, this is him of sharing this, of lying about God. Because we've told people about him saying that he raised Christ from the dead. And if no one is raised from the dead, then God never raised Christ from the dead. So horrible if it's not true. Just because you believe it, if it didn't happen, that resurrection... You believe in something that isn't accurate, that isn't happening. Um, and it's just, it's, just, it's just heartbreaking. Not only is there that, then that means that the heaven would be a sick joke. That, that heaven wouldn't be a possibility. Because the idea is that, that because of our separation from God, because we're not connected with God, because there's disobedience, sin, we don't live perfect lives, there's this break, And God doesn't write us off. But but if if there wasn't a death, burial, resurrection, if Jesus wasn't the perfect lamb, even if he was the perfect lamb but didn't rise again, all bets are off. That resurrection is crucial to us. And heaven would be a sick joke. You know, I've been a part of a lot of celebrations of life, a lot of funerals. And I point to the fact that there is a life after this life. That uh, you and I can come into relationship with God through Christ because of his resurrection. And then you and I have the guarantee that someday when we pass away, that relationship with God will usher us into eternity to be with God. There's no resurrection. That's true. That's a bunch of baloney. It's a sick joke. Again, it would be the greatest con ever taking place on the planet. Paul goes on and says, If those who have died are not raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised from death, then your faith is for nothing. You are still guilty of your sins and those in Christ who have already died are lost. How horrible if there's no resurrection. What if? What if that tomb really isn't empty? What if Christ is dead? Paul goes on to say, a Christian then should be felt sorry for, should be pitied, we read. If our hope in Christ is only for this life here on earth, then people should feel sorry or more sorry for us than any other one. Any other one. In other words, uh, if you happen to come to church today because someone brought you and you finally gave up and said, all right, I'll go to church, it's Easter, I'll do this thing. And, uh, you know, they just drive you nuts, family member, friend. They're always about church, church, Jesus, 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 all this. And it drives you crazy. You wish they'd shut it off. If that's the way you feel, you actually ought to feel sorry for that person. Because they believe in something that's a fairy tale. Because if there's no resurrection, all bets are off. It's, It's done. There aren't any bets. There ain't anything. You should feel more sorry for us than anyone else. They've grabbed a hold of something they genuinely believe in, but it's not true. It's got a, it is no halfway mark. Paul is really bringing out this idea. Theres like you can kind of believe. You can uh, say, "Oh, these are nice sayings, and, and it has to be all in or all out." You know, Paul will even go on later on in 1 Corinthians, say this, "If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If if, if there's no resurrection, no Christ resurrection, which means there's no resurrection for us, then we might as well just try to squeeze as much out of this life and live for ourselves as much as possible, because when it's over, it is over. What if? You see, this what if has huge ramifications for our life. But then thankful, there's another side to this. There's the other side. What if the tomb really is empty and Jesus is alive today? If that's the case, it changes everything. That opening video after Cindy welcomed everyone here talks about the resurrection changes everything. It's not all these nice little principles for managing your life changes everything. That does have an effect on your life. It's not all that, it's the resurrection is crucial. Paul goes on to say, but Christ really has been raised from the dead. The first one of those who will be raised, there is a nice, I'm not going to see the word now, symmetry, there we go. In this, death initially came by a man, referring back to Adam and Eve, and resurrection from death comes by a man. Everybody dies in Adam and everybody comes alive in Christ. So if that is the case, what if that has a ramification and impact on our lives phenomenally? It changes everything. First of all, Jesus must be taken seriously. Jesus must if if this has happened and Jesus did die for our sins and is raised again is in heaven, then we need to take everything he said seriously. Jesus said this. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. That's either accurate, that's either true, or it's not true. It doesn't go either other way. Jesus says these kinds of ideas all through the first four books of the Newer Testament, the Gospels. And then the other writers basically say the same thing, all through. This is a common truth. So if you and I say, yes, the tomb is empty. Yes, Jesus is alive. Then we must take Jesus very seriously. We must live our lives. Our behavior must reflect that he's changed our hearts from the inside out. That's why baptism. Baptism is a statement. This has happened to me. I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Now I have new life in Christ. I'm celebrating that. I'm pointing to that through my baptism. Now I'm going to live differently. So this Jesus life needs to be taken seriously in our lives. Paul writes about ideas and concepts and gives like a laundry list of things that show whether or not we're really taking Jesus life seriously seriously i'm just going to read through this and you can make your own applications to these ideas later on it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time that would not be a jesus life jesus said love others Uh, so we see this repetitive loveless cheap sex a stinking uh, accumulation of metal mental and emotional garbage frenzied and joyously grabs for happiness Trinket gods, magic show religion, panana, uh, pan, pananera. Thank you. Loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temple temper. An impotence to love or to be loved. Divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions ugly parodies of community i could go on he says this isn't the first time i warned you you know it's you use your freedom this way you will not inherit god's kingdom or it's a demonstration that you have not followed him taking jesus's life seriously means there are unbelievable changes in our life we become god-centered other-centered, and it changes everything. I love how it came through with a couple of the people sharing their stories. When I get up in the morning, I basically am saying, how should I use my life, Lord, for you? How do I live for you? How do I show you have made a difference in my life? And it changes the way I even think, and I want to be reminded of that. So that goes on to say it changes our focus. If, If What if if the tomb is empty? What if Jesus is alive? Then it makes me take Jesus seriously, and it changes my focus. Jesus talked about this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't live for just this chapter of life, where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven. In other words, live for the future Make a difference here, knowing that that will be rewarded in eternity, and not just even the sense for the reward, but it's that you make a difference in somebody else's life. You are touching another person's life, and you're affecting their life. But store for yourself treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, focus. Isn't it obvious the place your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being see it changes our focus paul talks about this in second corinthians he says these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times the lavish celebration prepared for us there's far more here than meets the eye the things we see now are here today gone tomorrow but the things we can't see now will last forever So we take Jesus seriously, it changes our focus, it changes our direction, it changes what centers us. What also is wonderful to know is that nothing is too broken to be fixed. We sung about that in some of those songs, coming together, you put my life together. Nothing is too broken, doesn't matter who you are or what you've done in the past, God can step in through the work of his son, Jesus. The Holy Spirit can join our lives and start putting the pieces back together together isaiah writes of this action this direction seek god while he's here to be found pray to him while he's close at hand lean into him seek him start your day finish your day seek him while he may be found he wants to be found he's not hiding we talked about that in esther he's close at hand isaiah goes on to say this let the wicked abandon their way of life. Ooh, that sounds a little strong. The evil their way of thinking. When we're self-centered, it's, it's wickedness. It's evil to be centered just on yourself. Let them come back to God who is merciful. Come back to our God who is, who is lavish with forgiveness. He wants to forgive us. Read in Psalms, God made my life complete when I placed all those pieces before him when i got my act together when i followed him he gave me a fresh start now i'm alert to god's ways i don't take god for granted every day i review the way he works i love that natalie said she reviews god working in her life boy could i learn a little bit from that if i did half as much as she implied she does thinking about god touching her life wow would that change my focus maybe yours too. Every day I review the way he works and I try not to miss a trick. I try to see him. I feel put back together and I'm watching my steps. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. When I think of rewrites, the text of my life, the story of my life, even the operating system of my life. We sometimes really enjoy when whatever device we're using gets an update in their operating system because now it can do some things some different ways. It works hopefully better than than it did before. The same is true in our life. Our operating system, how we function starts to change. So all of this what-ifs, it's the elephant in the room. What if the tomb isn't empty and Jesus isn't alive? Then there's one course of life, one direction of life. But what if the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive? There's a different course of life. You see, that first Easter, nobody expected no body. They expected there to be a body in that tomb, but there wasn't. And you can go a little deeper and find out all kinds of explanations which work either way, back to our what if. But nobody expected nobody. And the reality is this, an empty tomb can fill an empty heart. Because there's an empty tomb there, our hearts can be filled. God joins our lives, and that changes everything. Everything. So how do we say yes to Jesus? We begin by admitting we've been out of step with him. They call that sin. And we need to be connected with him through Christ, the work that he did. We, We believe that Jesus died for us and rose again and accept his forgiveness for our sins. And then we choose to invite Christ into our lives as the one we are going to follow. You heard that a couple times with the folks uh, getting baptized they want to follow Christ they need someone to follow and following him in views a love of God and a love of others if that's where you are today out in the entryways there's these little pockets near some of the offering boxes with a little flyer and then it says knowing God personally it helps you walk through that obviously I would be willing to spend some time with you if you want to talk about that a little bit more There's also an easy read called called How Good is Good Enough by Andy Stanley, and it's out there. It's a little booklet. It's about 70 pages. You can probably read it in an hour. But the reality is is it changes everything, the what-if game, when it comes to Christ and his resurrection, when it comes to that grave being empty or not. Because nobody expected nobody, an empty tomb can fill an empty house. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the message of Easter, Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for the way it's demonstrated in baptism. And Father, I would just ask this morning that all of us in this room would be thinking about where we are. What if we play? What's the game we're on? Are we tied to what if that you have risen from the grave? Are we playing a game what if you haven't? Help us to really think through the ramifications, what that really means. How so many people could be fooled over the whole planet over so many years. With that opening video that talked about the church and the difference it makes. It's because it is you working in people's lives. So Lord, help us wherever we find ourselves to take that next step. Where we live in light of a resurrected Savior. A perfect Lamb of God that came to die for us. And then not just die for us but to join us in life as we put our life before him. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.